Well, good morning again. We're going to continue this morning. I'll give you three guesses. And the first two don't count. Colossians chapter 3. As we continue to unpackage these important verses regarding how we can now live a life that's different because of the gospel. Gospel living is really what Paul is talking about. And today we're going to be looking at gospel parenting. We talked last week about children and the exhortation to children. Those who are believers, that's the implication. We're talking, Paul here is writing to children who would want to obey because they know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so from a heart of gratitude, they, they obey their parents. And the idea here we find in verse 21 is that the dads in the family are giving instruction that is easy to obey and are disciplining in a way that is, it is gospel-balanced, if you will, and fair and equitable. And so we're going to be unpackaging uh, these, this particular verse today and, and considering what it means for us and and especially the dads. This is kind of hard because, uh, I mean, the, the dads, we, we often mess, mess this up pretty bad. Um, we, we often fail to follow this expo- ex- exhortation that we have here in Colossians 21. And it's, it's easy to fall into the trap of being kind of heavy-handed and hard when we don't necessarily need to be. And I think Paul here gives us some very good instruction. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 as well with respect to this particular issue. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get into the passage. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this time together today. Thank you for the beautiful hymns that we've been singing and the reminders that we can rest in Christ and and that we can abide in his finished work. Help us this morning to understand your word. Help us to comprehend it. Help us to leave with a better sense of who you are and what you've done for us. We pray, Lord, that you would bless us with the presence of your Holy Spirit, that you would illumine our hearts and minds, help us to not be engaged in just the mere ritual of being at church. Save us from that. Save us from the sin of that, the tendency of a cold heart that simply comes just because I got to get that box checked. Help us, Lord, to have a heart of gratitude today as we hear the word opened. May it go forth with power. May the Holy Spirit bless the preaching of the word today. We praise you in the name of Christ. Amen. Colossians. So we're talking about this new creational lifestyle. And and the predicate and the foundation for it, we know, is, is what Paul has been teaching us throughout the epistle. Paul has dealt with a lot of things. He's dealt with the error of the false teacher, the error of the idea that Christ is just a mid-level luminary, if you will, that ought to be worshipped along with a lot of other angelic hosts. Um, He has dealt with the asceticism and the ritualism and the legalism foisted upon the Colossian believers by the false teacher, indicating that those types of things amount to nothing. He's taken us to Christ repeatedly, reminding us of who we are, that we were rescued from the domain of darkness, brought into his kingdom of light. 
that Christ is in control of all things, that he is the embodiment of the triune God, and that in, all, in, all, in him all things exist. He's reminded us that we have been clothed and tailored by Christ himself in a new nature, and that this nature then in development begins to demonstrate the reality of that new nature by the conduct and attitude and, and mindset that we have. This new creational lifestyle plays itself out in a very practical way that there are virtues that flow out of it, namely the idea that we are people who have hearts of compassion, that we're kind, that we're humble, that we're gentle, and that we're patient, that we forbear and that we forgive, that love binds us together, and that these virtues are softened by love, that the peace of Christ rules in our heart, and that we together exhort and teach and admonish each other through hymns that we sing and the words that we read from the Bible. And that whatever we do in word or deed, we're to do in, for the glory of the Lord. Well, we then find out in verse 18 that Paul becomes very practical in the application and deals with the issue of the relationship between a husband and a wife. Verse 18, directed to the wives. Verse 19, directed to the husbands. Verse 20, directed to the children. It gets very, very practical that way. And so today we're going to talk about dads. I'm not sure who should have sharp elbows today. Perhaps the kids, I don't know. So dad, who are you sitting next to right now? So let's read here. Let's begin with verse 18. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Well, wow. And verse 21 contains quite a punch for the dads, and so we're going to take the time to unpackage that today. And so here we have again Paul identifying the idea that there's a specific group that he's expressing these instructions to, and that is the fathers, the dads. He's issued a command for the children to obey both parents in verse 20. We find that in verse 20, children, be obedient to your parents, mom and dad alike. But uniquely, Paul transitions over here to the fathers, and the word father here mean, really means fathers. It doesn't mean it's not some euphemism for parents, it's the dad. It's very specific. The, lang the word that's used for parents is not the same word that's used for fathers, and so we can draw that distinction between verse 20 and verse 21. And so we want to make certain, dads, that we're understanding that Paul is writing to you specifically. He wrote to the wives specifically. He wrote to the husbands specifically. He wrote to the children specifically and the parents in the context of that dynamic. And now he's writing to the fathers specifically. And there's a reason for it. It's because dads tend to falter in this area. And I think that's important for us to be mindful of. And so we have here again this definite article, article that singles out fathers as a group. The implication being that, that these fathers are believers. We understand that because to whom is the book of Colossians written? At the very beginning, Paul addresses it to the who? The saints, the redeemed, the believers. And so these are believing fathers. These are dads who've been saved by God's mercy and grace. 
which then takes us back to a principle that is important, and that is the principles that we find in verse 12 and 13. So, dads, you need to bear in mind that when dealing with your children, the virtues identified in verses 12 and 13 are to be evident. So the baseline is this. Dads, we are to have a heart of compassion with our children. We are to be kind with our children. We are to be humble before our children. We are to be gentle with our children. We are to be patient with our children. We are to be forbearing with them and forgiving of them. And so those Christian virtues, Dad, are part and parcel of how you parent as a dad. How, you, how are you to be a father? What does that look like in a Christian home? These foundations do not divest themselves of their importance simply because you're now a dad. No, they're very important. So, so moms, you need to be mindful of the fact that your husband ought to be demonstrating these virtues in their dealings with the kids. And I think it's important because sometimes moms help dads to understand that they can have an edge that's a little too hard, a little too sharp. Perhaps they're not as patient as they ought to be. Perhaps they're not as gentle as they ought to be or kind as they ought to be. Now, I understand that the father is an authority figure within the home, and Paul is recognizing that here by addressing the father specifically. What you find by Paul's use of the definite article father is that he is, in, he is recognizing and indeed asserting the father's authority in the home. The management of the children in the context of discipline and instruction rests with the father. Now, it's done together with the, with the mom, too, but primarily it is dad. It is dad in the, con- in the context of, of all that we understand about the home, in the context of the creation mandate, that the authority in the home rests with dad. And we need to be clear about that. In a Christian home, the father is the leader who is aided by a godly wife who is is coming alongside as a helpmeet, as we've talked about, to aid in the administration of the home. Now, clearly, the context of verse 20 tells me that the mom is involved in the parenting as well. I'm not divesting the moms of anything. Moms play a huge role in the home. They're the ones who say, wait till your father gets home. So that's important. (laughs) That's very important. And it's interesting to me is that there's a reason that you have to wait until your father gets home. And there's a reason that she says that. It's because the buck stops with dad. With dad. But dads, we have to do it the right way. Oh, and it's so hard. It's so hard. There's so many unique dynamics in the context of this because you've got... Boys and girls in your home, perhaps. You may have, um, you know, a, a son and a daughter. If you have all sons, you've got your hands super full. If you have daughters, you have your hands insanely full. <laughs> and we'll talk more about that because the way you father and, 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 
and lead those two categories are uniquely different in, in terms of both exhortation, discipline, guidance, things of that nature. You look at your daughter slightly askew and it's a flood of tears. You look at your son and who knows what's going to happen. <laughs> but nonetheless, we find here then that dads are identified. So, so dads, right out of the gate, we, we have to work hard on verse 12 and 13. And we also have to be mindful of the idea that love softens the edges of the virtues, binds the virtues, keeps them together in the proper perspective. And the principles that we find about peace and and unity and harmony that are part and parcel of how we interact with each other in the church are also applicable to the home as well. These principles are important in both dynamics. And so we want to find these attributes in a father and in a Christian home. So we understand the category. We understand we're talking about dads. What's the exhortation? Fathers, comma, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. J.B. Phillips, in his paraphrased translation of Colossians 3.21, says this, Fathers, don't overcorrect your children or you will take all the heart out of them. Let's look at Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 4. A parallel passage that further illuminates, if you will, what Paul was writing in Colossians. It's believed that both of these epistles were written approximately at the same time, may have been delivered by the same means. Ephesus was some 100 miles away from Colossae, and so it would have made sense for Paul to write these two epistles and be, have them delivered that way in the same time frame. Verse 4 of Ephesians 6, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So what we find here is that both in terms of the exhortations in the Colossians and Ephesians, we have a direct command to the Father. This is interesting. Verse 21 of Colossians 3, do not exasperate your children. So that's a directive to you, Dad. As a Christian dad, you are not to exasperate. It says, do not exasperate your children. In Ephesians 6, 4, it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So you got two different ideas there. You have, you have the ability to both exasperate and anger your children. That's significant. That's something that you do as a dad. And what Paul is, do, what Paul do, is doing here is very practical. He's, 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 he's addressing, I think, something that dads tend to do. That is to exasperate and to anger. And there's a reason that we tend to do that because we fall back into our, our fallenness, our depravity. We get angry. We become heavy-handed. And we want our way no matter what, even though that way may not be the best way. And we'll talk more about that 
And Paul provides guidance on that. So consider, dads, if you will, the fact that you've now received two directives. You may come to me and say, Pastor, how do I, how do I parent? How should I be a good dad? Well, I'm going to tell you right now, first of all, don't provoke your children to anger and don't exasperate them. How you doing? And we have a further exhortation in verse 4 of Ephesians 6. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So you have a contrast. In one instance, you're being told not to provoke your children to anger. So there's a, there's a, there's a directive to not do something, a duty, if you will. But a parallel duty that is the counter to that. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Colossians 3.21 do not exasperate your children and the consequences of that so they will not lose heart. Not lose heart. Again, J.B. Phillips' paraphrase of Ephesians 6.4 is significant. He says, fathers, don't overcorrect your children and make it difficult for them to obey the commandments. Bring them up with Christian teaching in Christian discipline. So what we're finding already is balance and fairness and a gospel-driven approach to discipline and instruction. Dads, you don't always have to hit the red nuclear button first. The nuclear option is the last option. <laughs> but there are times when the nuclear option is appropriate, and we'll talk about that because the Proverbs have a lot to say about discipline. And yes, we're going to talk about that if time permits, perhaps not today, but next Sunday, if Lord willing. So let's go on to consider what this all means with regard to what we're finding here in Colossians in particular. Ephesians 6.4 gives us a little bit more depth to it, but we want to focus here on what Paul is saying here in verse 21 of Colossians 3. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. It's an important word. The, the root of the word means to excite. But here the meaning is clearly negative and means to irritate. So listen, dads. Well, if you wanted to break this down, we could say, fathers, do not irritate your children. <laughs> That's a hard one sometimes. <laughs> I always feel like they're irritated. I don't know. <laughs> I'm kidding. Dad. See what I mean with the girls? Yeah. She'll probably be crying in a minute. I don't know. It's just... <laughs> Dads, we're good at irritating, I think. So the idea here is dads, do not irritate your children. Do not embitter them. If we're going to break this word down. Don't make them resentful. Don't rouse them to anger. Wow. So encompassed within the idea of not exasperating are these roots, these root ideas. So, so dads, don't irritate them, don't embitter them, don't make them resentful, and don't rouse them to anger. And so the idea here is that if, in fact, you're doing those things, you are to stop them. Indeed, the, 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 the grammar of the sentence is that it, it comes in an imperative format that if the action is in progress, it is to be immediately discontinued. Consider that for a minute. Do not exasperate your children. 
the grammatical context and structure of that statement alone means that if it's happening, stop it. Stop it. Don't irritate them. Don't make them embittered. Don't anger them. Don't make them resentful. Whether or not Paul's addressing a specific problem within the Colossae church is unclear, but what we do know is that he's addressing the fact that these types of errors on the part of the Father, these types of sin on the part of the Father are not uncommon to fall into with regard to the way that they relate to their children. It can become the pattern rather than the exception. doesn't mean, dads, that you and I are never going to do those things. We're sinners in need of insane amounts of grace. We can go to Christ. We can confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us. But the pattern ought to change. It's interesting, too, that what happens when we take into consideration the the context of fatherhood at this point in time in history when Paul would have written this, at this point in time in, in Roman culture, they fathered on the basis of the principle of patria potestas, which meant that the father possessed unfettered authority and power in dealing with their children. Children were basically seen as nothing more than chattel in many respects. And oftentimes, fathers were incredibly heavy-handed, brutal, even to the point of killing their children without consequence. This is how firmly the principle of patria potestas was established within Roman culture. And so I think in part that Paul is addressing that type of mindset. Remember, these are people who would have been saved out of that. And so he's reminding them that in the context of their new creational lifestyle, that they're no longer to to guide and, and, and lead their children in the context of that type of pagan principle. Christian dads parent and father differently than pagans do. That's what Paul's saying. They also love their wives differently. Isn't it interesting that the transformation is all based upon the gospel transformation that is, that's been communicated by Paul? Unlike the Romans, who without censure were free to deal with their children as in any manner they wished, The gospel reminds us that there is a check on our behavior, that God, according to his goodwill and providence, has established boundaries for the use of the authority delegated to the Father by God. Interesting, isn't it? So the gospel is is the check on how I father, how I act with my children. We understand then, don't we? Do we not then? So, so dads, think about this for a minute. You now have boundaries in which you have to work when you're acting as a father. You have Christian virtues that because God has elected you, Paul says, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. Act kindly, act humbly, act gently. Be patient, be forbearing, be forgiving, be loving. That's how you parent. That's how you father. So we have, we, we have that understanding. That's so important. 
Dads, are you seeing this? Again, Paul is directly addressing the fathers. The definite article, father. He's given you instruction here and in Ephesians 6, 4. Don't provoke your children to anger. Here, don't exasperate them. So you have this idea of two different types of, of, of ways that dads can blow it. And we ought not to be engaged in that. That should not be the pattern. It doesn't mean that we don't mess up. How many dads have messed up? Yeah, yeah, we do it. But by God's grace, we can do better. And I trust that we will in the context of the grace that God has given us. Now, it's interesting that, the, that, that Paul does not give us a list of ways in which he can, we can produce this provocation in our children, but I think that we can come up with a list that might be informative for us to think about um, in regards to, to this type of issue. And I want to talk about that um, in that regard. There's things that oftentimes that we can engage in that are indicative of this type of, of pattern of behavior that, that we can engage in. So what are some things that we can do in terms that would exasperate or embitter our children? Well, we can be overprotective. We can be overprotective. Yeah, that's right. Dads and moms alike. We can become so fearful that harm may befall our, ki- our kids that we fence them in from every direction. Helicopter parents hovering 24-7. I'm grateful for the fact that my dad let me be a boy. And I fell out of trees and I got hurt and I got bucked off of horses, got lost in the woods, I fell off bikes, nearly tore my eyeball out once. I did. Still have the dirt under my eye to prove it. Always watching over in a way that that deprives a child of an opportunity to learn in many ways. So we have to be careful about that. We have to be careful about that. How about favoritism? That can be a problem. Having a favorite. I know a Bible story about a favorite. Isaac favored Esau above Jacob. Rebecca preferred one over the other, and the sad results of such partiality are well known. Favoritism can be a real problem. How about discouragement? How about a child coming to you and saying, Dad, I'm going to be such and such, a teacher, a mechanic, a minister, or whatever else the child has in mind, and Dad says, you might as well forget about that. That will never happen. Don't do that. Don't discourage. Obviously, a parent, a dad in particular, ought to see certain things within their children and encourage them in that. That's the point of the whole Proverbs, that if you train up a child in the way they, will, in the way they should go, when they're old, they will not depart therefrom. That, that's a dad, you know, and a mom too, looking at a kid and saying, okay, they've got certain abilities, certain skill sets. And, and if you encourage that over time you will give them ultimately the opportunity to engage in a trade that will sustain them through the rest of their life, perhaps. (laughs) 
We also embitter our children, or, or we, we engage in this improper behavior by making allowance for the fact that the kid's still growing up. They're not adults, Dad. They're not, they're not adults. And we have to be careful about that. We can exasperate them by neglect. We've seen this in David and Absalom. And the quarrel between David and his son Absalom was the fault entirely on Absalom's side? Was not David also partly to blame because he neglected his son? That's what's communicated in 2 Samuel 14, 13, and 28. We also do this by bitter words and outright physical cruelty. The father who loves to throw his weight around and to make use of his superior strength, scolding his children and inflicting severe physical punishment without justification. Not that, ever, not that any type of severe physical punishment is ever necessarily appropriate. Unfortunately, court cases are filled with records of fathers who have engaged in extreme cruelty to their children. And that's wrong. And unfortunately, it happens with dads who say they're believers. So the idea here is to rear them tenderly. That's the implication of what we're finding here, ultimately. To rear them tenderly. You don't always have to whip out the rod. And indeed, in Proverbs, we find exhortations that flow along that similar fa- that line. Proverbs 17.10, a rebuke goes deeper into one who has understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. The idea there being that wise reproof is better than a hundred spankings. Now, I think kids should be spanked, and I think there's a right time and a wrong time and a right way and a wrong way. But clearly, the principle of spanking is found within Scripture. The idea of some type of corporal punishment, if you will, is necessary at times. We find that in Proverbs, Proverbs 13, 24. He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. The implication being there is that a father who will not discipline a child is doing them a great disservice. And this is one thing I want to make certain that we're not doing with this passage, because I've heard this and I've seen this. I've seen dads use this passage to abandon all forms of discipline. I would submit to you that probably a little more discipline is needed. Been to the grocery store lately? Been to Lowe's? Staples, McDonald's, restaurants. It's chaotic with kids going out of their minds oftentimes. We all have experienced that. So Proverbs 13, 24 says this, he who withholds his rod hates his son. The principle there being this, that, that, that a dad ought to be engaged in the discipline of his children up to and including that type of punishment. The reason being is that the rod is one for correction. The picture of the rod, and it's, it's a vivid picture, if you will, with a wooden stick, kind of like a paddle, I guess, if you wanted to use that type of picture. But it incorporates the idea of a consistent pattern of discipline 
where perhaps the rod does not become necessary all the time. It really ought to be the last resort. And if you're parenting correctly, and you may have a strong-willed child, then I'll let you make the call on whether or not you need to use it more often than perhaps others would. You, you know your children. And if you see that, then you may have to deal with it in that context using the exhortation from Proverbs. He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who, listen to this, he who loves him disciplines him diligently. So, Dad, you may have a child who needs 24-7. You may have one, you may have a child that you may have to talk to them once or twice a year. And that's God's grace. Proverbs 23, 13, do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. (laughs) That's Solomon. Now, we chuckle at that, and it it impacts us in a way to remind us of the fact that 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 God has given us the authority to engage in these things and to to be of the mindset that we're not doing something that's ultimately going to kill the child, but we're doing something that is a demonstration of our love for them. But it needs to be a form of discipline that gets their attention. You can't barter with them. You can't bargain with them. That's not discipline. That's acquiescence. And that's a problem. The more you give, the more they'll take. Trust me. This is true. So we don't hold back discipline from the child, Dad. But we do not do it in a way that is angry. So if if you're angry, here's rule number one. Walk away. Walk away. Take a moment. Gather yourself. Talk to your wife. Pray about it. Be mindful of who you are, that you're bigger than they are, that you're smarter than they are, that you're supposed to be more godly than they are, and that you're going to use this as an opportunity for instruction and exhortation. Yes, it's still discipline, but it's still an opportunity to help them because you love them. Again, Proverbs 13, 24, he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Diligently. Even in Hebrews 12, 7, we find this. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? That's significant. Then at the same time, Isaiah 38, 19 says this, It is the living who gives thanks to you as I do today. A father tells his sons about your faithfulness. And so this goes to the other portions of the exhortation. We find in Ephesians chapter 6 that the father is engaged in bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So Paul, Paul continues the exhortation in Ephesians and amplifies it by indicating that the Father is engaged in an even-handed, equitable, fair, Bible-based form of discipline, but he is also instructing 
to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, that can mean a multitude of things, teaching them God's Word, telling them about Christ, encouraging them in Christ, but also relating to them the fact that the discipline that they may be receiving is part and parcel because of what God's Word has said, that their behavior has been out of line, that they've not been obedient. And so you have to keep those types of things in mind. Keeping this in mind too, Proverbs twenty nine twenty two: an angry man stirs up strife, and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. So this is why I said if you're angry at the moment when you think you need the discipline, take a step back. Because a hot-tempered man will abound in transgression, and you'll just stir up a lot of strife. And you will. And you'll exasperate. It's interesting to me that oftentimes children will accept a fair level of discipline. It's when it becomes heavy-handed and uneven when it becomes a problem. When it becomes a problem. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. You can be humble even in the way that you discipline your children. And so we have a multitude of of exhortations here. And I think we have to be mindful of the fact that all of these exhortations have to be captured within the context of love. Colossians 3.14 says, beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. That works in the home and it works with the kids too. 1 Corinthians 13.4-8, love is patient, love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. And so when we parent, we have to keep those things in mind. This is why Paul lays the foundation predicate for us in verse 12 with the idea of having a heart of compassion. We discipline our children with a heart of compassion. Eli did not discipline his sons. Look at the consequence. They were horrible. We have other pictures of disobedient children. We, we, have, we have examples in Scripture of, of unruly children, a mob of children who were mocking Elijah. Was that his name? Eli, Elisha? I, can't, I always get them mixed up. But nonetheless, and the bears came out and ate them because they were unruly gang of kids who had not been properly raised in their home. And so moms and dads, and dads in particular, think about these things. Think about and be mindful of them. Bearing in mind that Psalm 127.3 tells us this, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Proverbs 17.6, Grandchildren are the crown of old men, and the glory of or the pride of sons is their fathers. Interesting. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9, in the context of the exhortation to instruct and impart wisdom according to God's word, reminds us of this. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. 
Joel 1.3, tell your sons about it and let your sons tell their sons and their sons the next generation. Proverbs 29.17, correct your son and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. So dads, I know this is a high calling. I know that there's a lot here in regards to this exhortation, it's, it's not easy with respect to this type of instruction, but we must do it, and we must do it properly. So we don't want to exasperate our children. We don't want to be heavy-handed with them in our discipline. We don't want to be angry. We don't want to make them angry. Isn't that interesting? We're not to be the, the, the one who provokes that. Now, They may get upset with you about the discipline, but there's a difference between being upset and being angry. And and the idea behind the anger is that they're responding to something that was unjustified. That you've, you've done something that went well beyond the realm of reasonableness with the discipline. And again, I can't sit here and give you a definite list of when you should spank them and when you ought not to and and, and when you should take their phone, and when you take the keys from the car, and when you do all those things. There are times when you have to love them in a very hard and difficult way. That may require that they leave the house. If they become disruptive in that way, there's another balance that has to be struck. You're not only the, the, the one who sets the tone with the children in terms of discipline, but you're also the one who has to protect the rest of the household from an unruly child. That can happen, and it may be necessary, and I know of when it's happened, and it's not easy to do. It's not easy to do, but there's a loving way to do those things in a way that you can do it that would not exasperate, and I would, I would imagine that such an action would be a last resort that you have exhausted all other reasonable realms of discipline, that you have considered all other opportunities to correct, that you have been diligent in your correction up to that point in time, and that one day you just didn't walk out and say, get in your car and get out of here, that you had taken the time to prepare and to move in that direction if necessary, giving warnings, giving instruction, using the rod. Those are things that the dad must do. Now, here's the other side of it too, dads. Perhaps you have a wife who doesn't want you to discipline. Well, then she's out of line with verse 18. And so, wives and moms, you have to be careful about how you intervene into the discipline with respect to what the dad is doing and thinks is necessary. And I would assume that there's a conversation going on about those types of things. And I do think that moms play an important role. As I said, they can soften the dad. And I think that's what God gives, them, gives us, that, that dynamic. But at the same time, the discipline may need to happen, and that shouldn't be stopped if Dad ultimately says, yes, this needs to happen. Moms, if you have a husband who won't discipline the children, you need to exhort him to do that. You need to encourage him. Hey, you know what? You've got to lead. They don't listen to me. They'll listen to you. So you need to do those things. We don't want them to lose heart, of course. This is the final exhortation from the passage. 
so that they will not lose heart. This is the reason for the command. Don't exasperate them so they don't lose heart. There's a, there's a result. The idea being is if you exasperate them, they will lose heart, which means that, that it, 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 they'll be disheartened or dispirited, broken in spirit. So you want them to be discouraged, not, not discouraged, but encouraged. You don't want them to get to the point where they just give up. It's pointless. You can never make dad happy. No matter what you do, he's angry. No matter what you say, he's upset. No matter where you go, he doesn't like it. No matter what you do, he's going to have some type of problem with it. If you're that guy, that's sin. Stop it. Stop it. You don't have to be that way. There's nothing loving about that. Do you want your kids to come back home after they go? Stop it. Don't do those things. Don't exasperate them. Don't make them lose heart. Dads, notice that your behavior causes the reaction. It's the father's behavior that's causing the reaction. The idea of children being exasperated is because dad's being a jerk. That's the the implication of it. He's out of hand. He's out of line. He's not acting in accordance with God's word. He's not disciplining correctly. He's not maybe not disciplining at all or disciplining too much or he doesn't care. Overbearing, overreaching, always angry. That's not how we parent. That's not what we do, dads. Remember, we are new creation in Christ Jesus. All right, let me ask you something. Do you want, do you want God the Father to parent you the way you parent your kids? How would you like that? What, what's the characteristic of the way our, our Heavenly Father deals with us? Long-suffering, insanely patient. Honestly, think about it for a minute. Think about your sin. Think about it. What's He done to you? He's been patient with you. He's pleaded with you. He's welcomed you back over and over and over and over and over again. And he still loves you. He may discipline you, but he still loves you. But often, isn't it interesting that the discipline even of believers is a last resort in the context of something that is difficult or dire? God is patient. And so, dads, my exhortation to you is to be that way with your children. And again, I I just say this to you. Dads, I want you to parent in the context of verse 12. If you're doing verse 12, you're not going to run afoul of verse 21 in the context of the negative implication of it or Ephesians 6, 4. So have a heart of compassion, dad. Be kind, dad. Be humble. Be gentle. Be patient, be forbearing, be forgiving. That's it. You do those things, you live out the context of what we have in verses 12 through 17, the rest of this falls into place. Verse 17, dads, when you discipline your children, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Remember that. Forgive 
Forgive just as Christ forgave you. And use a better sense of judgment based upon Scripture. Keep Christ before your kids. Love them with all your heart. Treasure them for what they are. They are a gift from God. You know, the idea in Scripture is that your children are like arrows in a quiver. Well, what do you do with arrows in a quiver? You put them in a bow and you shoot them out. So you're taking your kids and you're pulling them out of the quiver and you're putting them in the bow and you're shooting them in the world. There they go. The idea being is that ultimately they're going to be a witness for Christ that the Lord has saved them. And at the least, they'll be someone who loves their parents and honors them in that way. So dads, be mindful, be attentive, don't be overbearing, don't be heavy-handed, don't be hard-hearted with your kids. Love them. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this exhortation. These are hard things for us to do. It's clear from the passage that you understand that. That's why the instruction is here. Our tendency is to lapse into these errors. Forgive us for that. Help us to do better. Help us to rest in the finished work of Christ. We're so grateful that you're always forgiving, that you're always loving, that you're always compassionate, you're always gentle, kind, patient, long-suffering, always forgiving us. Help us to keep that in mind, but also help us to be mindful of the wise instruction that you've given to us about how to raise our children that you have so graciously given to us. Thank you for that blessing. Help us to do better. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.